This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm doing something a little bit unique this time. I've got a guest on for our intro. I've got one of our fellow Sportsman's Empire hosts of the Hunt of War Podcast, Mr. Nick Otto. Nick, thanks for taking the time. I know as we're uh, as we're talking here, this is the, the heart of your uh, boomstick season in Michigan, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's great to have you. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, cheers, everybody. Glad to have be on the show. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is uh, November fifteenth. This is the day that the Orange Army from Michigan heads to the woods. Uh, a lot, you know. I I guess I I find myself more into the bow hunter aspect of it, but at the same time, like when things get tough, sometimes you got to change strategy. So donning on the orange and uh, bringing out the uh, slug gun is something I plan to do this next weekend but yeah it's a big tradition uh in michigan i know it's a big tradition in pennsylvania we got a fellow chapter of orange army over there so hey uh yeah we've started off strong so we hope you guys have a have a great one as well yeah it's it's kind of funny like i, I feel like pennsylvania and michigan have so many similarities in like talking about the strength of their hunting heritage and i, I feel like I, I don't have the numbers anymore i know that it's like always like a, a continuous like argument of who sells the most licenses and who has the most hunters like i know uh the number that always sticks out is like john eberhardt always talks about four hundred thousand bow hunters in the state of michigan and somebody told me and like i said this might not be true this is just uh you know hearsay but somebody told me that there was five hundred thousand archery licenses sold in pennsylvania this year and like i can't keep up with it but the the cool thing is i just see so so many similarities between those two states Absolutely. I mean, shoot, we're a wrestling first uh, states. We got, I mean, awesome programs for both states. Yes, we are. I, I mean, we're big woods uh, states as well. So we're chasing after big white tail. And there's just a lot of heritage that goes along with that. So, yeah, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. It's like we're all in that same thing. And I know back way back when it was always like, a, a, you know, there's a million men that are in the woods right now uh, as the, you know, at stand army. And it's rather than having to like break it up, like, well, who's got the most licenses? I look at it as, you know what? We got a couple million with all the states combined. Like, let's bring it together and let's bring this back. Really, like, I don't know, a uh, resurgence of the tradition. Yeah, last week on my show, we were talking about, I had a group of guys and we were talking about group hunting for bear, but it kind of, uh, kind of, ties in with a lot of similar strategies when you're group hunting for for deer with the way that our our seasons overlap and I, I made the comment like you know there was a time 
where archery season ended and I felt like the season was over. And now I embrace the season way more than I used to just because of that uh, that deer camp atmosphere that we talk about. You know, we've been – one of the things that's been really cool on the, the network, uh, Josh Raley on the How to Hunt Deer podcast doing the, the deer camp episodes. It's been so cool to be talking with guys across the country and having like a deer camp atmosphere in a podcast form. It's, it's unique, but it's been kind of cool. It has been. Um I know personally, like the group of guys that I'm with, we are, we hunt all of properties that we are essentially like five minutes from or we live at. And so disconnecting um, and getting into a deer camp mentality is tough. We've all got families. We've all got jobs that really pull at us. We've got responsibilities. And it, I mean, it goes, it goes the same way with, with anybody who starts a, a starts a camp or is a part of a camp that there is true value in being able to get away we found that ours during deer season was just not going to happen but we did see the aspect of coming together and just being a group of guys and just getting a chance to fellowship we moved ours to summer actually uh we timed it with uh the total archery challenge that comes to michigan so we get up there for a whole weekend we just totally disconnect and we just run run amuck with our guys we just have a great time and then when we come back and then deer season hits, it's, you know, we're, we're on a group text message. So it's kind of like that 24 hour talking, um, you know, mentality. But at the same time, like we've kind of had to make a balance with that. And so that that shift we had to make uh, was a real struggle just because we had to figure out what we were doing. But to give up that camp, to give up spending time working together for a common goal to say fill the freezer or to get the you know the, to get the buck that's something that i think holds true value for for men we have to be able to hang out together we have to be able to build each other up and this is exactly what uh deer camp is all about yeah and it's like i said it's it absolutely has and i was telling you before we before we started recording this that that same kind of uh, stuff that's going on. What, what's I, I mean? I don't know what the history of Michigan deer hunting looks like in a sense compared to to this, but like I know Pennsylvania talking with like my my dad, my uncle, my grandfathers, and like the, those generations before me. Like there was a time where there was like next to no deer in the southern half of Pennsylvania, so it just made it uh, such a rich heritage then that everybody got together at that time and went to deer camp. Uh, you know, headed a few hours north. Everybody, everybody, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry has a, a camp in northern Pennsylvania. And as the the populations have kind of spread across the state, you know, we've we've seen uh, you know major differences in the deer management since probably about 2001 here. And you see that spread out, and like I get a lot of people down, you know, that I'm friends with in the southern part of the state that like they're they're glued to those spots they have close to home deer hunting, and they don't want to go up north just because they that's where they're all their time and investment is. You know the the era of got to shoot the best buck I have on camera, which is awesome, and I love to do that, but it, it's consumed that that deer camp. So it's been what, what's been really neat is. Uh, the unit that I hunt where my cabin is with the o- with the overlap in the first week of gun season, we have a bear and a deer season. And it's it's been really neat watching a couple of 
like woodpatch hunter friends of mine that I went to high school with come up and just absolutely fall in love with the group hunting camp, like something they've never experienced before deer hunting. You know, they're used to having to worry about like, can I shoot across this field? Cause there's a house, you know, in this section of the field. Now we're hunting big woods and they've never done that. It's just been so cool to see them embrace that and then do it together. I love where you pointed out where folks are, fo- are focused on, getting that number one hit less buck you know they've got they've got a goal they've got a mindset and they're driven to that and as much as folks are into doing that and by all means people will do what they please that it's not for me to judge i love the idea of like it's your tag you hunt your deer i feel like there's a lot of chess being played and there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of pressure and to get away like you just said in a group hunting aspect Put the chess game away. Let's just play checkers, folks. They're deer. They're going to do wild animal things. I'm not going to worry about my scent right now because Billy next to me smells even worse. I'm going to be just fine. And, you know, Timmy over there, he's having a few too many cocktails. We'll hopefully get him into a stand. But that whole idea of just coming together and being able to just let go, let the pressure off, and just be happy for whoever put something on the ground. You mentioned even, like, you know, deer was scarce. Uh, neighbor of mine, love the guy, he's 65, and he talks about not shooting does. Like, that is one thing you do not do because that holds your population. And talking with him and trying to, you know, pull him off the edge, like, listen, Tom, it's okay to shoot does now because we have a lot of does. So we've kind of fallen in that same thing where at one point, deer was scarce. And you really had to work together. That group mentality, it had to come together to do that. And now we're kind of living in the golden age where, shoot, every woodlot is overrun with deer. We're living in a, you know, just this awesome time to be able to, to poke deer. Let's, uh, let's play our chess, but at the same time, let's not lose track of what the main goal is here. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about the game of chess, I feel like that's what has consumed podcasts when it comes to the hunting world and outdoor world is the game of chess and i love those podcasts too but um your your show dive into a little bit more about what you and your show is about because you talk about hunting and hunting strategy but you you talk about the uh the the end result a little bit more and that's kind of what we wanted to talk about a little bit as uh, as we get started on on our episode here today yeah so if we were to equate to that game of chess like there's the start of the game that really is going to be focused on strategy and you're looking three moves ahead my show is all about the checkmate you've put down the king now what that is the big thing you now have this deer laying there and you've put so much effort into getting to this deer uh patterning this deer now you've shot it you've succeeded in what i what i see is as half the goal here the other half is to bring it full circle and how to get this animal and celebrate all that it is to be able to harvest this animal. And I say the word harvest in the fact that we're not just like, I'm not trying to to get around the idea of killing the animal. That's exactly what you did. But now at the same time, let's put this animal to use. Let's use as much of that flesh as possible. You have a hanging carcass here that you could glean so much from, whether it be burger, whether it be steak whatever you want to get from that animal. And then on top of that, like 
just celebrating our whole hunting heritage through traditional stuff like like summer sausage and venison sticks. It's always a favorite. But at the same time, to take that idea and even go a little bit further and be like, listen, I can elevate venison. I hear people talk about gamey, and I hear about people talking about venison as like cheap cuts or cheap meat, and it is not that at all. It doesn't taste like beef, but at the same time, it is some of the best tasting meat you will ever find. And so that's what my fo- my uh, show focuses on is, yeah, it really focuses on the venison aspect, but I also try to dive into everything else that we chase. Um, one I haven't done a whole lot with is bear. And so that probably needs to be a chapter that I explore here very soon. I need to get on some bear and we'll play around with that. Well, I, I saying that I wish Michigan was a little bit closer because bear season is you know, in the in the full swing here, I'm hoping to put one down. That would be something for you to tinker with. The, the old good old rendering some bear grease. But uh, now, so, uh, you know, we we were talking about deer camp and kind of guys going south and going north. We still have a lot of that going on. And it's been interesting, like, j- you just go to deer camp and everybody has their opinion on everything, right? And one of the topics that I don't think gets talked about quite as often, but you'll always hear a couple different people have their philosophies of how do you manage uh, your harvest when you're at camp? What's the what's the p- correct protocol? And I, I there's there's probably not a one size fits all in every way, shape, or form, but there's there's definitely some things that are do's and don'ts. And, you know, you talked about the gaminess. And I, I've noticed as I've started to pay attention more, you know, when I was younger, I, I would just shoot a deer and take it to the butcher shop. And then I started shooting a lot of deer and realizing that this is getting expensive. And <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely does. So I've I've gone the approach of starting to process my own and, you know, going the route of YouTube and what's this and, and figuring out cuts. And uh, I understood a lot of the muscle groups because I'm a biology major and I, I understood anatomy and physiology, but seeing it from a butchering perspective was, was different. And uh, it I actually, I this sounds weird. So many people are like, I don't mind skinning, but I hate cutting. And I'm the opposite. I actually don't like skinning, but like butchering, you know, you know, breaking down a hind quarter, I kind of think isn't too bad. Um, but no, um, what I was getting at with, with deer camp, you know, we, we go up and guys will go up for a whole week and a lot of guys will, uh, be up the whole week regardless of when they harvest their deer. And I, I've been to camps where you shoot a deer opening day and that hide has to come off the, the same day it was harvested. Then I've also been part of camps where a deer was shot Monday morning, the first day of deer season, and that thing hung all week until Friday. And when they brought it home, it was solid as a rock because it was frozen being being in camp. So I uh, I kind of wouldn't mind picking your brain from a, a start to finish in that northern deer camp atmosphere of how you would manage some of those um, situations, you know, given different work weather circumstances and what you have available at your camp. Yeah. Um, just like you were alluding to, depending on the camp, you're going to have things that they've done for generations. You know what? You get the deer, we, we're going to take that hide rate off it. Or we're going to, 
we're going to leave it hang as is. Uh, make sure you pull out the tenders or, you know what, save uh, save the tongue for Uncle Jimmy. He gets all the tongues. We want to make sure we get that. Or livers. Like, we, we hold on to livers for some odd reason. There's all these unwritten rules that, you know, you can't really – you don't want to mess with. you got to tread lightly around these uh, unwritten rules. But at the same time, you look at it, and there's it starts with the buck pole. Um, when you're out in big woods or you're out at camp, you're going to have critters that are going to want to get after what you've already harvested. Get that buck pole 10 feet. Get that buck pole 12 feet. I mean, we've got now a lot of guys that are mobile, so they've got their sticks with them that use that. Get that buck pole up super high and make sure it's good and tight because, you, yeah, you're hoping to put a bunch of deer on this pole. But once you get them on there, like these unwritten rules, I know with my group of guys, I was late to the hunting uh, lifestyle. I've always been around it. Um, I've been uh, in the meat industry with my parents owning and now my brother owning the turkey farm. And so Thanksgiving was always big time for us. I never really had time to get away and go hunt as a kid. But then I jumped into it and I, I came into it with that meat first mentality. So when we started hanging out together and they would get a deer, I would be looking at like, what are, what are you doing gutting it like that? Like, that's a whore. Put your saw away. What are you doing? And confronting some of these, uh, unwritten rules that, that they had just been done because they didn't know any better. Mm. Um, one of the ones too is like, I, as when I get my deer and I'm going to be at camp, I want to leave the hide on mainly because that hide, that skin is going to be an amazing protector of that carcass that's underneath. I understand that we want to get that to chill out. This time of year when a lot of rifle seasons open up and we're up in the northern woods here, you're going to have those temperatures that are just going to be perfect for being able to hang that deer. Now I say that and I knock on wood because, I mean, old mother of nature will go ahead and turn around and it's going to be 65 Mm. and there's going to be sunny the whole time and it's going to be tough to have that. So you got to have a backup plan. But for the most part, I like to hang it with the hide on. Then you got to get ready for the fight. Do you go up with the hind legs or do you go up with the head? If I'm taking it inside, if it's going to be going into a shed, I like to put the ass end up because that way a lot more heat escapes. But if my buck pole is outside, I'm going to go head up and that's going to act as a rain or weather shield. That's going to keep a lot of dust It's going to keep a lot of water, a lot of weather out of the inside of my deer because it's going to hit that hide and just roll on off. I mean, this is the same hide that deer use every day that they're living. It's still going to work every day that they're dead. That makes a lot of sense. And it's amazing that so many people just back and forth with that one. And I really don't have much of an opinion. Some of the the accusations I've heard, you talked about people accusing venison of being gamey. And one of the reasons I've heard people make that hunters is that, well, you didn't get the hide off in time and allow that heat to escape in in a, in a fashionable time. So if, if you're keeping the hide on and you're having really, really good luck with that, um, let's, let's back up a sense uh, back to the field. If you shoot a deer, um, just give me a quick breakdown of if you're going to hang a deer outside like that, um, 
what are you doing in the field to prepare when you go to hang up? Are you uh, splitting the hinds in the field? Are you trying to make as little of an incision as possible? Are you, you know, carrying, you know, a, a cup with you that you can get a, some water out of a spring and throwing it up in the cavity, uh, trying to get the, the, the body temperature cooled as quickly as possible? Like, break, break, me, break that down real quick. Yeah. So field care, pulling that out, getting on, on top of that animal as quick as possible is always a good thing. Um, not to put a lot of pressure in on, uh, on the hunter at that point, but, you know, for every hour that it's left out there, that's one hour that that bacteria in that gut is having a chance to expand and work its way out of that bowel system. That's just one more, <laughs> one more ticking time bomb that you're trying to get past. Uh, luckily, as things chill out, that it does buy you a little bit of time. So you do have time to track your deer. Um, but in the golden scenario, you shoot it, you get it in maybe a couple hours, you, you get on trail, you find the deer. Wonderful. I am uh, going up through uh, up through the stomach like you would normally go up through the st- or like you would normally field dress. I don't bring a saw with me when I field dress a deer. I do keep it just to opening up the belly and stopping at the sternum. Um, I don't like to cut all the way up in there just because I feel it's a little bit not necessary. If it's going to be warm at some point, that definitely is something that you can do. But I feel that's just one extra piece of equipment that you're going to have to mess with, and that's one extra thing that you're you're having to deal with. Same thing with the pelvis. With a little bit of practice and a little bit of blade control, you don't have to use the bone saw on the pelvis in order to get the full anus out. It it takes you having to get past a little bit of your, uh, I don't know, your, your willies, but stick your thumb in, move it to the side so it stiffens up that hide around it, and just cut. Make a nice circle around it. And then as you work that blade, make sure you're running that blade into that pelvic cavity. And what that's going to do is loosen that up on the outside. Go to the inside. I mean, shoot, you've already killed the animal. It's not going to feel it. Get your hand all the way up in on the reverse side. Loosen all that up. And you can pull that whole bung right on out, that whole anus, in one foul swoop without having to break it, without having to spill the beans, so to speak, of all the, the poop in there. Pull that all out because that's going to be a huge harbor for bacteria. That's going to be a huge area that if you can clean that out, it's now basically a chimney for letting all of that air get out of the animal or, if you're hanging it in reverse, allowing cool air to get up in there. That pelvic girdle holds a lot of meat. And so if you can cool down that girdle, that's going to be a key to making sure that you've got good quality venison. Yeah, I think those are all excellent, excellent points. And, uh, you know, hey, as we're, uh, as we're wrapping this up here, Nick, I- I'm hoping that this is something that people, uh, people are, f- are faced with here pretty soon as, our, as we're right around the corner with our gun season opening. Nick, do you think there's anything else that we ought to, uh, we ought to leave people listening to this with for, uh, for hunting season and, and caring with game before we, uh, before we get into the, the episode? Um. Beef is getting expensive. Poultry is getting expensive. Yeah, buddy. Across the across the gamut, domestic, 
domestic is what feeds this nation, but at the same time, it's hunters that are taking it upon themselves, that are separating themselves from that food system, that we're allowing people to still eat, but at the same time, we are then uh, being able to fuel ourselves, and we're saving money doing it. Look at what COVID did. COVID brought a highlight to what our food system is about to do. It's about to crumble. So if we can come in as hunters and spread that olive branch to other people by displaying our meat, not as this cheap cut that I'm using to get instead of beef, but I'm using this meat to elevate above beef or I'm using it to elevate above what I can get in the store because I went and harvested this. I went and cut this and now I went and cooked this. That is an amazing message that any anti uh, animal rights person or any animal rights person can't refute at that point. You know, if you st- extend the olive branch of dinner plate, there's not many people that can say no to that. So if you want to get a chance to do better by your venison, don't feel afraid to get in there, get dirty, cut it up yourself. The worst thing that you can do is make ground venison. And right now, my family goes through about 80 pounds of venison in a year. So it's one of those things that it's definitely a part of our lifestyle. Mm. So, I mean, you can't lose. If you cut up a steak and you feel like you did it wrong, just grind it. And, man, you'll love it for when you're making burgers or you're making meatballs. hundred different directions you can go with it. So, Bur- yeah, burger is my... still my favorite, and I still cannot get my wife to eat burger. She's one of those texture people. It, if it has a have it has a texture a certain way, she won't eat it. Love steak though, so we have plenty of steaks in our in our house. But uh, now, good deal. So uh, we're gonna gonna shift gears here, Nick. Thank you for talking about the uh, the preparation stuff. And guys, the one thing I want to say is Nick's show, the Huntivore on Sportsman's Empire, same places that you'll find the Pennsylvania Woodsman Show. Uh, fantastic resource for game care. Uh, I just listened to Nick's episode on aging, uh, aging venison, and it was a fan- Nick, fantastic episode. Lots of information in there. I think I, I, I texted you afterwards, and I was like, you know, listening to you talk about that, I, I've really been thinking, like, I want to try liver. I haven't tried it in, in years because the last time was a bad experience, but I want to revert that. And you were, you kind of alluded to that in your episode. So we were, we were texting back and forth on that. So, um, really great resource for, for, for stuff. Um, I love the content you put out, Nick. Thank you so much, Mitch. That is, that warms my heart. I, I want to be able to entertain, but at the same time as an educator at heart, like, I just want to spread knowledge. I just want to, if I find something that's like, man, that's a home run that people should be doing. And even if it's somebody else that produced it, published it, came up with the idea, shoot, I'm going to steal it and I'm going to spread it to the world because what we want to do, what we need to do as hunters and anglers and sportsmen across the board is just highlight our wild game. And that's been, it's been a focal of what I wanted to do. So to know that folks are tuning in, hearing that and being like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try hanging my, my dear for seven days and be okay with it like that that's a good good feeling that i've got yeah i believe that i believe that well hey we're gonna go to the next part of this episode guys and and this episode coming up i had a conversation with john lewis from the just hunt club you you ever watch any of their videos nick I have not, so I'm excited to uh, continue on this episode here. I want to hear from him. So, so John is uh, a, is a Pennsylvania boy, 
and he moved to New York, and he's he's been hunting. He, I think John hunted. Uh, he was actually part of Midwest Whitetail for a portion of his life. Um, came back, and he's doing Just Hunt Club with Brett Joy and a bunch of the other guys in news. But they're very New England, Northeast driven. And it, it's a great rifle hunting conversation. We we kind of talk a little bit about Pennsylvania hunting, and then we get into you know his deer season as it as a whole. And then we start talking about uh, something new to him, and that would be tracking in the snow. And you know in the new New England states, that's a that's a huge thing. And getting the, getting a fresh powder and following a track, and we, we talk a little bit about the buck he killed in New Hampshire. I believe it was two seasons ago but it was like a, a giant 140 150 class buck in the big woods of new hampshire we talk about that and we just talk about what he's learned um from the, the guys that he hunts with what he's learned on his own in doing this and tr- just taking a track up which is something that is very different when you're into the mindset of stand hunting which has become so popular and, and effective but uh, it's just a different angle. It's a great conversation with John. So I'm really looking forward to uh, bringing this episode to you guys. And uh, I was I was really thankful, Nick, that for you uh, you to hop on for uh, first part of this episode, man. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me on. And holy smokes, the idea of a spot and stalk tracking in the snow. Those are that sounds like big woods, public land adventures right there. And being in southern Michigan, you know, it's it it's a lot of chess game. You gotta work with a lot of property lines, but to get on a big track of public land and try to put some of this knowledge down, I think this sounds like a great adventure waiting to happen. I I, I sure hope so. You would get some of that in like the UP of Michigan, right? Oh, absolutely. The uh the UP is I mean, once you get north of the bridge, it's uh it's heaven. Um Lots of expansive land. We do have in the lower peninsula, we do have uh, two, one on the east side and one on the west side, um, uh, big tracts of public land. They call the one on the east side the Big Wild, and that's where our elk herd is, actually. So there's a lot of guys that go up there and, and take on the big woods and uh, to try and hunt down the mysterious uh, you know, public land bucks that are, that are out there, and that's... It's just great to to know people that are doing that. They're like the superheroes. They're wearing the capes. Where uh, you know we uh, we simpletons are over here in our little uh, downstate. We're in our little uh, little plots. But hey, at the same time, we look up to them. We learn things, and we try to do our best. Yeah, some of my friends and, and people I know from Northern Pennsylvania always call us Flatlanders down here, mm-hmm. and uh, for good reason. But it, it's it's kind of cool because talking with John, he's got experience in a lot of different parts of the country, and. It's always funny when you listen to people's uh, what everybody's definition of the big woods is. Like some people will take a, a mountain range in southeast Pennsylvania and call that big woods, and it is pretty big, but there's still ag that relates to it, and those deer can still have access to ag. And then northern Pennsylvania definitely has what I would consider big woods, but you know, talking with John and some other people, like it's just a whole nother level of big woods the further up into new england you get and i'm sure it's the same when you compare the up and uh there's there's definitely a lot of parts that of our conversation with john here that uh you can relate to um here in in pennsylvania so looking forward to bringing you this episode guys and uh thanks again nick you bet you guys cheers keep the knives sharp All right, on the phone with me, Mr. John Lewis from the Just Hunt Club. John, what's going on? 
Not a whole lot. We uh, are just, uh, like I said, living in a camper in New Hampshire right now. So um, there's not a whole lot to do right here. But uh, we're getting ready, you know, for the upcoming season. We got Huntstock, which is a festival for sportsmen in um, Massachusetts this weekend. So just uh, kind of getting all of our ducks in a row as much as we can before things get crazy this fall. Yeah, things sound like they've already been getting crazy from a personal <laughs> standpoint. I mean, you guys have been moving yep. all over the point. And you said living out of a camper. How's that been going? It's good. I mean, it's an experience. So, I mean, we live, you know, on the road quite a bit throughout the fall. So, summer is usually the time where we go home and kind of relax. And it's been it's been a good learning experience. So, I can't complain. Um, you know, luckily for me, I can work from wherever as long as I can get internet connections. So. Um, it's a good experience for my wife, who's a nurse. Uh, so I can't complain. She supports me all fall, so I can support her through the summer for sure. Good, good deal. So, you uh, has that affected your season preparations by any means? Yes, it's really stressing me out. Actually, um, I have a September or a South Dakota deer tag, so my season starts normally. You know, I do. October 1st is New York's uh, archery opener. Well, this year I'm going to South Dakota, and that's a September 1st opener. So um, it's been a little more difficult to uh, to shoot and practice and stuff like that as much as I normally do um, and just, you know, be able to kind of start to get all my gear together. But, you know, it'll work. We'll figure it out. We run on the fly all the time. So, But, um, you know, it's luckily this year we have, you know, a couple – couple uh guys that are working with us so we've been able to get stuff done um i'm right now i'm a lot closer to brett so that's been nice to you know for filming aspects and, and projects and stuff i've been able to help help out with that a little bit more than i normally would so you know there's positives and negatives to everything so overall it's good though I can relate to the feeling behind part. I mean, I feel like I do this every year. It doesn't really matter what phase of the year it is or what I have. I just add more stuff to the list I want to try to get done leading into season. And Like I was I was spraying some food plots the last night and this morning and, uh, you know, shooting my bow and, you know, just everything you, you do and you stress and there's not enough time, there's not enough time, and it'll be here when it'll be here. But, man, you uh, originally a PA boy and kind of moving all over the northeast um, and first yeah. hunt of the year in South Dakota. What's the fall deer season looking like for you this year in 22? So South Dakota will be um, myself and Chris are going out there. Chris went out last year. He shot a buck out there. And then Brett was out there the year before, shot a really nice buck yeah. out there. So we'll have two guys um hunting and then brett and our buddy henry are going back to alberta september 1st too so we're gonna have four guys in the tree september 1st which should be pretty cool um from there on i kind of have you know blocked out a random trip i always try to do that whether it's for waterfowl or or whitetails um every year just kind of like a week where if we can spur out and go like the weather's good in ohio or um wherever, somewhere, PA, you know, we started building our, building some, um, story in, in Pennsylvania. Um, so leave that kind of open and then I'm, I'm really going to try to stick around New York for when it's good. Cause I always, I'm never there <laughs> when things are popping off. I mean, I can't complain, but, um, you know, this year it's kind of my goal to, to be kind of local, um, during that time and, 
spend as much time in the tree as I can there. That's my plan now. Plans don't always happen the way you, <laughs> you think they will, so we'll see. Um, and then once the snow hits, we just kind of start chasing that um, during rifle season or muzzleloader season. So yeah, you've kind of uh, hunted all over the place from you know back in the days of Midwest Whitetail and Just Hunt Club and everything else. You guys kind of hunt all over the place. Do you gravitate towards one region of the country more than another? And do you also feel that when you get into northeastern whitetails, it's a different ball game? Like, wh- what are your thoughts? Because I mean. If if you stay inside the bubble of your state borders, I feel like a lot of guys are like, oh, a, a Pennsylvania deer is the hardest deer to hunt or a New Hampshire deer is the hardest deer to hunt. But so right. You're somebody who's lived in it and hunted it. Like, what, what's what been your experiences going across the country and then coming back to home? Yeah. So when I lived in Iowa, um, I deer hunted. I didn't deer hunt a lot because I was doing um, the waterfowl show. So it's hard to do both of those things very effectively yep. because the seasons overlap. Um, you know, Iowa is a special place. It's just, that's just all there, all there is to it. It's, it's, uh, it's really hard to compare that to, you know, what we have out here. Um, and not in a bad way. By any means. Um, it's just, it's just different. Um, you know, I hung Indiana last year. And that was very similar to Iowa for my experience there, you know, while other people had different experiences there. But my experience was very similar to Iowa. Um, the Northeast, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with Iowa. I really haven't deer hunted much in the Northeast until the last two years because, once again, the waterfowl stuff was huge. That was my, my income. You know, so like that was always priority. I get out every now and then. Um, but, uh, I just think the Northeast has, takes a different type of hunter. I think, um, there's so much to explore and you just have to be out there doing it. Um, you know, I, I have a super biased approach to New Hampshire because I hunted that state for deer one time and killed, you know, <laughs> the biggest buck of my life. So I can't say. Like, yeah, my, my experiences in New Hampshire are way different than 99% of, you know, the people that hunt up here. But, um, you know, with that being said, I've seen, you know, the guys like Brett and Ross and Chris and all the time that they've put in to have those, those encounters. It's not, that's not how it works, you know, most of the time. That was just, I just got lucky. Um, which I'll take that every day if I can. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's just different. It's, it's hard to compare the two. Um, you know, where out in Iowa, you may sit and see, you know, 15 bucks and one might be one you want to shoot where in certain areas like New Hampshire, you may sit for 15 days and see one buck and it not be the one you want to shoot. So, um, it's just a completely different type of hunting, type of terrain, um, type of animal, just a different type of animal. So I find it interesting. There's a lot of guys that I know that were once big diehard deer hunters and then experienced waterfowl hunting and just got bored with deer hunting. And you're kind of going the opposite way. Did you get hit bit by the deer hunting bug now, or is waterfowl still a pretty pretty diehard passion for you? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's different. Um, I always was when I was younger. I loved 
waterfowl hunting, I love the communication aspect between like, you know, birds and you and, and tricking something to think what you set up was real and then, you know, hiding it enough. I really enjoyed the communication aspect. It's one of the reasons why I really like turkey hunting too. Um, the fact that something that is wild thinks that you're real is, is just cool to me. Um, and, but I also, I, I did, I did a lot of deer hunting, um, when I was younger too. Like I said, my grandparents had a dairy farm and, and that allowed me to, you know, explore different types of passions. Um, so they had crop fields and then they also had, had timber to deer hunt. Um, but as I grew older and I waterfowl hunted a lot of places, I've met a lot of awesome people and have had some awesome experiences. Um, a lot of people like waterfowl hunting for the social aspect of it. And I do too. It's very fun because you can be engaged all the time, whether the birds are flying or whether it's working, you got your buddies there, you can BS and, and, and talk. But, um, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've also gained more patience when it comes to hunting. Whereas I was, when I was a little younger, I just wanted to go, 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 go. And like, um, I look at waterfowl hunting in a different mindset now. Um, you know, I look at it for going out for my dog, you know, watching my dog. Um, and then also the experience is kind of what I've changed a lot of my mindset to, um, it's just like, what can I do to experience something cool? You know, it's not about how many birds you can kill. It's not about shooting one. It's like, you know, whether it's, you know, my dog making a really good retrieve or going to a really cool place. And uh, deer hunting has been kind of filled that other gap of like the goal or like the big prize. So I experienced a lot with waterfowl. Now I'm, still go, but I want to experience a lot with whitetails or, you know, any type of hunting experience. So, um, you know, at a young age, I traveled all over the place and hunted ducks and geese all over. And now it's like, okay, I did that and I enjoyed it. And it was an awesome experience. I want to, I want to see what, what, you know, big game has to offer. What type of experience is going to get there? That's a great yeah. outlook on stuff because I know personally, like each and every fall, I, I love waterfowl hunting. I love to go goose hunting. I love to go duck hunting. I do it very little because the way this is exactly what you said, the way the seasons overlap. And if I don't have my buck tag filled in Pennsylvania, there's no way I want to miss the time I can right. going into deer stand. That's just how I am. That's how I'm programmed. Um, but I, I really like what you just said about experience and what does it have to offer? Because I feel like for a, a huge chunk of my life, I've been so um, wrapped up in whitetails, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but I definitely think you can miss out on opportunity of what creation has to offer you. So, I mean, with you going out and experiencing a lot of different places this fall that you were talking about, like, do you set like a goal or expectation going into the fall when it comes to your, your deer hunting? What, like, do you worry about like what deer you're going to shoot or like, how do you go? Cause from my perspective, like every year I hunt Pennsylvania and if I shoot a buck there, I might go somewhere else. Um, but with family life and, and just all the other stuff I share, I, I might not. And so I try to put my eggs into that one basket and shoot the best buck that I can. But, you know, you talking about experience and going other places, like, do you set an expectation and do you ever feel that you're stretched thin when you go other places? Like, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's actually interesting. So I've lived in New York for five years now. I've yet to kill a buck in New York. Mm. I've missed my fair share. I've missed like four. <laughs> Maybe three of those were in one year, but we won't talk about that. Um, so like I look at in particular to the, to the Northeast, um, I look at what are my odds, right? So like new, I'll use that New Hampshire hunt last year. I remember sitting in a tree in New York bow hunting. It was November 12th. Yeah, it was November 12th. Me and Jake were sitting in a tree. And it was just like, not, weren't, weren't feeling it at all. And, uh, like we knew there was good deer there and they were alive. Um, and I was talking to Brett and Brett's like, Hey, like there's a chance we're going to have some snow. It's rifle season. Like it's a seven hour drive, but like, yeah, it's good time and you can out with a gun and me and Jake just sat there and we're like, man, I really like, I really want to kill a buck in New York, but like we can have a gun and snow. Like, let's go. And I remember just sitting there and just, we were just in the tree, just like contemplating. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, let's, let's just go to New Hampshire. Who cares? Like, it's not like I can buy the license. I have a turkey tag. I've already got everything I need. I had from turkey hunting and we just laughed and went and that's what happened. You know, so like if you don't, take those chances. Like I said, obviously I wanted to shoot a buck in New York, but had I never, had I been stuck in that mindset of being like, I want to kill a buck in New York, I want to gone up and, and had that experience of shooting, you know, that, that huge deer. And when I got there, I remember specifically saying to Brett, like, don't put me anywhere that you're going to be upset if I shoot, you know, anything. Cause that's what I'm here to, I'm here for that experience of, of hunting in these mountains. And like, we got snow, like, cutting a track or sit, whatever it is. Like, I'm going to shoot a deer. That's kind of what I'm, I'm after here. And that just so happened to be the one that came by. Um, so as far as like expectations, I'm pretty fly by the seat of my pants type guy. And I think that comes a lot from waterfowl hunting. Um, you know, when we used to do that stuff, it was, it's not like deer where, you know, you, you're hunting a deer, right? You know, that deer is in this vicinity. Where like with waterfowl, it's like, all right, I'm waiting for these birds to migrate and be in my vicinity or wherever that vicinity is. So we would wait for the birds and then we would go to their vicinity, you know? So like there was many times where it'd be like, okay, the weather looks really good. Um, you should, you know, be expecting a front or, you know, a good push of mallards. We're leaving for North Dakota in three days. So like that kind of mindset, I try to take consideration even with gear because you know my situation is a little different than most people but um when we have the ability to just bounce i'm going to go wherever i think that the odds are stacked in my favor in that case you know snow new hampshire rifle season i've got a gun i've got snow like yeah it's, there's probably not as many gears there are in new york but like we can find we can probably find them and that week we killed you know i killed that buck and then Brett killed his buck just a couple days later. Yeah. So, um, that makes sense, I guess. It absolutely makes sense. And, and you don't hunt for anybody but yourself. And I don't hunt in for anybody but myself. And it's, you know, you're going to do what makes you, you happy. But sometimes I have to get a reality check. And should I be doing something mm -hmm. different just to keep my, keep it right. fun? I mean, um, yep. Cause it's easy to put a lot of stress on yourself throughout the fall. Yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. supposed to be something fun. And sometimes you get just into this, 
grinding mindset, which it, it can it can it can get to a point where it's unhealthy. Yeah, but, you know you. Uh, yeah, and I think it's important to have that that kind of stress a little bit. You know what I mean? To keep you kind of in line. Um, you know, like fun is obviously the end of it. Um, but you know, when it comes to anything in life that you're successful at, it's gonna come with some stress. You're you're absolutely right. And like I said, there's this, when you say this statement, it ruffles feathers, but I don't care. I'm going to say it. When you look at it, there's different levels of hunters and hunting experience. There really is. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's people who love to go out and will set the expectation low and just want to enjoy themselves and whatever happens happens and that's awesome that's fine you know uh, and then there's there's people who get crazy about it like you and me and you know we get look for this better and better and better type mentality and i agree that stress is important because it keeps you driving and striving for better but Mm -hmm. it it can get unhealthy is is oh yeah is all i mean by that right and you uh so you talk about hunting new hampshire um tracking in the snow like i've always been just absolutely infatuated with watching big woods northeastern Mm -hmm. hunting and and tracking and stuff we we sometimes get those conditions in the northern tier pennsylvania um you know we got a lot of big woods here too um but i don't see as much parallel it seems like new york is the cutoff where you hear of a lot of people doing that uh, what, yeah. what were some of your experiences? I mean, obviously you had a great experience. You killed a, a giant doing that, but I mean, what were yeah. some of the things you learned in the, in this process of hunting in the Northeast and tracking and stuff like that? Yeah. So I, I mean, I didn't really, I wouldn't say that I'm a, I'm not, I'm not an experienced tracker by any means like that New Hampshire buck. Um, you know, we were preparing to, take up that track and he just was hanging out in that area and cut you know right in front of us it was like i said it was just super lucky but had we when we were walking up in there um we were planning to sit we had found brett had had some cameras in that spot brett and ross had cameras in that spot and we had gone up the, the day before and like just found a good spot to sit and uh when we started at the base of that mountain there wasn't really snow it was like mush slush and as we climbed elevation 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 um we got we we had our packs on to sit and everything to sit and we're just like we can't sit like we had the track and it was literally we walked in we saw you know that track and we were we were figuring out how to rearrange our packs so we could potentially walk for however many miles and uh i just remember saying to jake like you know, let's get ourselves situated and we'll go. And at that point in time, like something can cruise its bottom. This is where we wanted to set up anyway. And I shot that buck like a minute later. So like we weren't pursuing that year at that moment, but um, I messed around a lot with it more in New York the, the year prior. Um, we had some good snow. Um, I think the coolest thing about it is what you learn. Um, you know, it's, it's an engaging way of hunting. You're always in that pursuit. Like, you know, he's right in front of you or not right in front of you, but you know, you're on that deer, right? Cause you, he laid out the blueprint. Um, but he also, like, also what you learn from that aspect of, you know, you're tracking during the day. So like you're getting a blueprint of where, you know, hopefully the track you're on is a mature buck where he walked through all day, like, 
Like that's really cool and really interesting. And it starts to make you put pieces together. Like I know where I live in New York, that's helped me develop a lot of really good spots for other times of the year because when the snow came, I got that blueprint. I walked this bus tracks during the day. Um, you know, they're not always going to do the same thing during rut, but for example, you know, I tracked a buck that I didn't end up shooting. Um, we tracked him like five or six miles two years ago and he walked by like five guys tree stands in daylight. And the only reason I know it's daylight is because the snow stopped right at first light in the morning. So like all those tracks were, were in daylight. Um, and he walked through like five guys stands, like in a super like predictable spot. He was just walking like this easy access logging road, you know, in this, in, in the end of November, like at nine thirty in the morning, just walking. So like you learn a lot about your behavior and, you know, why they do certain stuff, um, from doing that. And then we spent a lot of time in the Adirondacks last year. And that's, that was, a that was a very interesting, fun, very fun, um, experience for me. Cause it was just a completely different type of terrain that I'm used to hunting. Um, and the deer up there was, it was hard to like cut, um, a lot of the deer, their feet up there are like pretty similar. So it was hard to determine like what was a big doe compared to a big buck where like you could have track in New Hampshire or, you know, Maine where you're tracking a 200 pound deer. It's just a little different down in the, in the Adirondacks a lot. I mean, there's spot, there's spot where they get, you know, pretty heavy, big, um, but they're not huge, huge deer where we were. Um, but, uh, I think we did like 13 miles a day almost through the snow wow. for three, two, we did two days the first trip and then another two and a half days the second trip. And like we saw two deer, <laughs> you know, and then, but Ross and Brett, the first day there, Ross almost killed a really nice buck, like within the first day. So that's also the, uh, kind of the, the cool thing about tracking is you can, it gives you confidence you can show up to a place that you've never been before and cut a track and kill that deer with no prior knowledge in the spot. You know, all it takes is cutting the track and then you're, you're in the hunt, you know, it's not like going out to, you know, Iowa, for example, and hunting the rut or something where you're setting up and you don't really know the area. Like, yeah, you can be successful, but like when you, when you're in the snow or, and you cut that track, it's like, you know, you're, you're in the game, you know, most of the time if you cut yeah. the right track. So I think that's a really cool aspect. And, you know, like I said, learning about bucks and how they move, um, just seems to help in more other types of hunting situations, you know? Absolutely. You know, um, a couple things I, I take away from that and I can, I can echo and also learn from, Number one, you know, when you go into a, a big woods setting like that and, you know, may, maybe you have some familiarity with the land, but maybe you don't know the ins and outs and nooks and crannies like you want to, um, you know, that gives you an opportunity when you're getting on a track to just explore and learn ground. And I really think that doing that 
is is setting you up for future hunts in those locations. I mean, I find myself time and time again where, you know, I know a little bit about this area and, you know, what I do know, I don't want to mess it up. So I kind of tiptoe around and hunt the, hunt the edges, hunt the, hunt the funnels. And at some point throughout the season, I've gone into situations where, you know, maybe it's late rifle season. All right, we're going to work. I give up. Let's, let's do a push through here with, with some guys. And you explore and you're like, oh, my word, did I miss out? I should have been just down the ridge yep. a little bit on this. There's a nice little bench that connected these two choppers, something like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't see that when you, you go around that aspect. But another thing, and I, I kind of stem a question from it, you know, you followed that Bucks track you talked about. He, he did predictable things on logging roads. You followed him for however many miles, uh, walking past five guys' tree stands. Um, so with that, you know, you talk about learning – or, or, or learning some behavioral things or, or buck travel things. Do you think when it comes to big woods, uh, a lot of people just underestimate how much time you need to invest because of that low deer density when you pick those locations? Like, I, I just feel like sometimes you might do a sit in a location, and I, I've had the mindset for a long time that the first sit is the best sit in a lot of locations, mm-hmm. but it's just on such a larger scale in the big woods that I, I wonder if, do I need to invest more time? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on after that track? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I don't like sitting and waiting for deer. <laughs> so like, fair enough. I mean, I, I will, I will, but it's not like, I don't enjoy it as much as I do like being on the ground with a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I never used to be that way. I used to just be like, Oh, bow, I'm going to hunt with a bow. I gun hunt, but, um, I just find, you know, being on the ground and working. But yeah, to your question, I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and I think a good testimony to that is like, you know, how Brett and Ross hunt. Um, they're hunting, you know, big, big, big woods compared to what I hunt in New York. I mean, what I hunt is big, but it's not, you know, as big as what they're hunting. Mm -hmm. And they have their spots that are proven. And if they can hunt them, like they're gonna sit there day after day after day because they know within this, you know, stretch of windows, if my butt is in that tree from sunrise to sunset for this amount of days, like I'm probably gonna have an opportunity. And that's kind of been, you know, developed over the years through, you know, trail camera data and just, you know, building, uh, you know, a rap sheet with that, that specific piece. And it's worked, you know, and, and, but it takes like a super different type of mental toughness to have that, um, bel- that to believe in your spot that much. And I think mm-hmm. that's where it gets tough. And I'm not speaking for myself because sure. I don't think, I don't think I could do that. Like I just, it doesn't enjoy, even if I knew I would shoot a buck on day seven sitting there for seven days, I don't know that I would enjoy that. And that's kind of like goes back to that. Yeah. stress thing that you were talking about like where do you draw the line of you know being successful and stress and having and having fun to me that's not that's not fun for me um but you when you believe in a spot as much maybe it would be different if i had the 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 belief in the spot as much as those guys do yeah. um but every time they do that you know usually they either have an opportunity or, or are successful oh certainly um so, do you find yourself yeah, think, that you gun you enjoy gun hunting more than bow hunting? Then I don't know. I haven't. That's like the game I'm kind of in right now because, like I said, I didn't gun hunt for probably 
I think the last deer I killed with a gun, I was till this, you know, last couple of years, I think I was probably 18 or 19. Wow. And then I didn't shoot another deer with a gun until I was 25. So like, I just bow hunted. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know if it's just a phase, but <laughs> I like, I like, you know, the, the being able to, not that you can't with a bow. Um, I like having more of a range, more of an opportunity, being able to move around, you know, like where I grew up. I think the reason I stopped gun hunting where I grew up was because there's so many people, you know, and, and I didn't enjoy that. I never, you never felt like you had the woods to yourself. Right. Not that that's always important, but like there's always, you know, deer drives and stuff like that going on. And that's fine. Just, I didn't enjoy that as much when I was that age where now once I, you know, you have these massive chunks of land, I can just go. So like, I was never able to do that when I was younger. And I feel like with a gun, I can just like go and I have more room for error and I can still have, you know, a decent chance at being successful. Um, where with the bow, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if I had that level of slowness to be successful with the bow and moving, you know, like our buddy Zach and stuff. Like I did the stock with him out in South Dakota and that was really, really cool. And I was, I learned a lot just doing that, but I could, I don't think that that would be something that I would enjoy doing all the time. So I'd say right now, if I can have a gun in my hand or a bow, I would, I would take a gun. Yeah. I, I went through a phase for a while. I was kind of like you. I was like Bohan. I was getting to the point where I didn't want to take my gun at all. Like, I'm, and I still mm-hmm. do at certain cases. Like, it'll be gun season, and I'll have a bow in the tree with me. But it, it I, I'm learning it. I'm warning it to the the situation. I've started to appreciate gun hunting more when we're doing it the way that you're describing. Like for a long mm-hmm. time, I gun hunted in my archery style. You know, hunting pieces of property on stands and waiting them out Mm -hmm. and i slowly lost my interest in it um it just seemed like that effective range with a setup stand with that it just it wasn't doing it for me as much and now getting back to a different playing field where you have the woods to yourself you're exploring you're chasing i i'm starting to enjoy that and enjoy that much because it's Mm -hmm. it's it's an added challenge i mean tailoring to what you just said like when you're on the ground trying not to bump deer when you're on the ground making noise like i i'll be the first to admit it man i am i'm freaking clumsy like i just i am like stalking yeah. like I, I shot a buck two two or three years ago um upstate pennsylvania and I had this plan where I was going to go past where I, I knew there'd be pressure along this road, along this chop-off. I was going to get on the backside of this chop-off. And I slipped down into this big drainage and up onto the side hill. I was kind of walking like a, a hand, you know, it's kind of a deer trail, might have been a man-made trail on the side hill, just trying to sneak out through. And uh, I, I took a step, lost my balance, and I'm like on one leg, like, balancing trying not to make noise and finally i just couldn't hold it anymore and i stepped and stepped right into this big pile of sticks and when i did that this dandy nine pointer jumps up off the bench about 70 yards below me <laughs> takes off running and it was just like it was like you were duck hunting i threw the gun up oh, yeah. he was in the scope 
I squeezed one off, and I, he somersaulted dead right there. It was like you couldn't have been Gee, any more lucky. Crazy. You couldn't yeah. have been any more lucky than that. But it was just like I—I I didn't do anything right other than pick the location. I just was right. too clumsy, and I just happened to make a the shot of my life. Mm-hmm. And and when you tailor to that, it's like, how do I make that better? Because that's not the norm. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's I think that kind of goes back out to concept of like just being out there that's that's 90 percent of it it's like being out there instead of being like oh there's gonna be a lot of guys out i don't really like just go find something i think the other cool thing with hunting in that style is when you mess up okay let's keep going and find another one you know it's not like when you're sitting in a stand and you you anticipated all this stuff to happen in a certain way and that buck comes in and stand, you know, gets downwind and is sitting there and blows at you and runs away. And then you're just like, well, crap, you know, that's, that's it. Like I blew it. You know what I mean? Where like when you're hunting in that, that way and you have that ground to keep going, it's like, ah, that sucks. What can I learn from it? And then let's move on. And you know, there's a chance that we're going to get, get into some more deer because we're covering ground. So I think that's kind of a cool thing too. That always you always have that like that um, perseverance to like just keep going a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. Um, and that can get you in trouble sometimes too, because I know like I've had days where I should have been doing other stuff, and it's like, ah, let's just keep let's just keep poking, keep poking, keep poking. Oh wait, we're eight and a half miles from the truck now. All right, that's the day. <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything besides. No, but um but yeah like i said i have a story like that too when it wasn't a buck but i was with it was the with muzzleloader season and mm-hmm. it was when i really like started to get infatuated with the still hunting with a gun and stuff and i shot like i think i shot like four deer in the snow with the muzzleloader that year and it was just the same i was going out to hunt like, no, I didn't care what I was going after. Like, I was going out to hunt and, like, try to learn, you know, and get better at that. And whether it was a fresh buck track or a fresh doe track, like, I just took it. Um, and I was, like, coming up along this creek bank, similar situation. And I knew it was a doe track. But um, I just, like, kept sneaking, kept sneaking. And I was like, she's going to be right here. She's going to be right here. And I'm, like, ready, ready, ready. And I stepped on a dead hemlock that was all, I couldn't see it because it was snow and it had moss all over it. And I just, boom, like you said, and she jumped up, you know, 10 yards from me. So like in that scenario, I was like, okay, like my idea that she was going to be right here was right. Mm-hmm. What can I do different to not, not that I could have helped step on that thing and fall, but had I just been like, she's going to be right here and I would have slowed down and really scanned. You know, I, if that was a buck, like I, I would have been able to find him eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, or he would have been get nervous enough that he stood up and I would have had a shot. So like, I just like kept pushing him a little bit more. So like, I think the other thing is like you're talking about, um, in those situations, when you, you put yourself in those situations over and over and over and over again, you learn more and more and more and more. And then eventually it's just going to be like, okay, it's starting to, I mean, every situation is different, but you're, you know, just like, pick apart, pick apart, pick apart, and then that's just going to help you be more confident in what you're doing. Um, and I'm not to that point. Sure. Not even close. Like, I have I have way more experiences to go before I, I actually feel like 
I have that confidence. Um, we yeah, talk about that a lot with both. turkey hunting. Yeah. We talk about that a lot with turkey hunting. It's like we, we turkey hunt so much and, um, we just continually put ourselves in different situations. And over the years, it's like, we're get we're at that point now where it's like, okay, this is the situation. This is what we got to do. Boom, 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 boom. And it's like just kind of clockwork. So like, I feel like deer are always different. Turkeys are a different game, but just that type of mindset of the more situations you can put yourself in, the more experiences you can get the, with anything, the better off you're going to be long-term. So I, I think with podcasting, with content creation and videos and stuff, there's two aspects of it. One of it is entertainment, and two, you know, there's a lot of people with great experiences out there that are helping others be more efficient. And I'm on an efficiency right. kick right now just because I want to hunt as much as I possibly can. I just know life gets in the way, and it doesn't always happen the way I want. But I'm, I've just come to the conclusion you are going to plateau at some point when it comes to listening to podcasts, to mm-hmm. watching videos, and, and learning from people. You do have to just go out and experience it. And there is no replacing those learning experiences you do for yourself. Yeah, um, You absolutely. talked about tracking, you know, tracking and, and learning how to be patient and, and learning, you know, when is the time to slow down and stuff. I mean, walk through some of those experiences you've had on a couple tracks like – how are you gauging um, when it's time to move versus when it's time to uh, slow down a little bit? Is it just based on terrain and the cover that you see deer going into? Do deer do certain – have you experienced deer doing certain things on a track that's like, okay, this is kind of an indicator they might be getting ready to bed based on what the like the paths they're taking, mm-hmm. like stuff like that? Yeah, so I, I mean, like I said, I don't I don't have the, the – um, experience to be like a hundred percent confident sure. in, in, in all this, but there are like certain things that, you know, other very experienced people have talked about, um, you know, to keep an eye out. And this past year is when I really kind of started to see some of that go, you know, hand in hand. Um, and it all, you know, you know, always say like you're following a track, right. And you're following it, following it, following it. And it's a walking track or whatever. And then that buck just J hooks and like, you know, He's going right up a ridge. Okay, I can start to kind of think that maybe he's going up there to bed or they start weaving, feeding a little bit, you know, and see him take a dump or whatever, and they just kind of slow start meandering and, you know, they're feeding on ferns or digging up acorns or whatever. You think, okay, like, that deer's there's a decent chance that he's going to bed or he's close. You know, it's kind of like judging that. Uh, I think the the biggest thing that I've ran into and especially in the Adirondacks, we had one, that's where I saw a lot of that. Like it started to make way more sense to me as I was going. And the last day we hunted there, we were on this buck for, we, we left him the night, we found him, jumped him, left him that night, <clears throat> picked him up the next day, tracked him all day. And, um, Finally got him. He bedded in like a bunch of different spots. And finally, it was like we looked at it, the map and we're like, he's going to be right here. If he's going this way, like this is where he's going to be. And the only thing we did wrong was we didn't move fast enough when he was moving fast. So like we bumped him. He was cooking. 
we were kind of being like more timid than we should have been. We should have been aggressive, like moving fast, fast, fast as he's moving fast. Cause he's moving fast. He's going somewhere. He's not worried about you at that point. Like he's on his escape route. He's feeling pretty, pretty confident. So like we were going slow when we should have been going fast and I'll never. And then we had our spot, the spot that it was pretty obvious that that's where he was going to be just by following that buck for two days. We were kind of starting to, see where he would bed, what type of stuff he would bed in. And this was like just a little secluded spot over a big swamp um, up on a spruce knob. And like, he's going to be right there. Like that's the only spot that makes sense. And he was, but we were too slow. Mm-hmm. So like we got up there and we made the move, you know, to get up on there. And I just remember like, all right, he's either going to be here. He's not. And I like, you know, came up over the, over the ridge. I got our wind right to come up over the ridge. If he was bedded there, and I popped up, and there was just a big empty bed. Mm. And I was just like, oh. Like, so, like, it made sense in my mind. Like, we played, we, we knew the deer. We had, we like, we executed the plan of where he was going to be. We were confident in that that's where he was going to be. He ended up being there, but it was the stuff in between. So, like, and that's where, that's where that was where my season ended. So, like, I had that. That was my last hunt of the year. So, like, that's been the one that, like, I can look back on and even just from those couple days of being there and being on, you know, spending the entire day tracking up there. Um, like those situations that we put ourselves in, like I feel going into this year that I'm obviously going to think of those a little bit more, but I was really happy that we were able to, you know, pinpoint that and that that hunt wasn't successful because I feel like if it was, I would have been, feeling a little bit more confident about my, my skills. And I don't want to feel that way yet. Sure. I'm not even close, but like the fact that it wasn't successful when you have an unsuccessful hunt, I feel like you, you break it down a lot more to what you could have learned from it than if it was a successful hunt, you know, when you're successful, you kind of live in the success. Right. But with an unsuccessful hunt, you think about what could I have done different in that just scenario, that track, like, there's so many things that we learned on that that I think going into this year it's going to just build our confidence enough but also make us more efficient like you talked about on the track so like okay we got to cook we got to cook and everything's different um you know our our good buddy uh Corey um Winch actually Corey and Bailey they have a podcast called Adirondacks Bucks and Beyond um and he had he shot a really nice buck in Adirondacks last year and like that deer, he jumped him six times. I think I think it was six times before he shot him. And it was like he started to realize, okay, before this buck beds down, he takes a dump every single time. Like he takes a crap and then he beds down. And that's was his like key to slow down. And he scanned, 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 saw that buck in his bed and shot him in his bed. Wow. You know. So it's like, but like that's a, that was like that deer that's what that deer was so like you start to build guys you know you hunt a specific deer for multiple years or whatever you start to build that story tracking is like it's it's interesting because you're building this story with this deer its behaviors and you're picturing but you don't know what the deer looks like you have no idea but like you're picturing all this stuff and like the personality of that specific animal and that's like what i think i find very unique and fun about that is like this entire day you're following you like you know what is he what is he what is he okay he likes to do this he likes to do this this is what he and that's just like i think 
that like full circle comes back to kind of like what I was talking about before with waterfowl hunting is I liked communicating with the animal, right? Like that was a big thing for me is like, well, it's just, it's kind of like that, but it's in a different way, right? Like you're communicating in a different way. You're more communicating with yourself, but like you have that pursuit or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I don't know. That's like, that's what I find interesting. And then just like the, the stuff that you see when you're out there is walking and, you know, just covering new terrain and then leaving, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. you might not ever come back there. You go to a different spot. So it's, it's cool. I get married the... to spots way too easy. Like it's so easy yeah. for me to walk into a place and be like, man, this is beautiful country, man. I want to keep hunting here. And I mean, it's great if you start to develop a history, mm-hmm. but it can put you in a headlock right. learning new stuff. How often yeah. when you're yeah. when you're running tracks, how often do you find yourself going back and forth between whatever mapping app you're using um, with with a track and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, all the time. Like probably just as much as you're looking at at the track and up ahead is like I, you know, like that one in you know that that piece of property. It was it was tough because it was it had so much micro terrain that we couldn't really see on the map so like there was these little like just little micro terrain knobs that were just like awesome bedding spots for deer all over the place and there there wasn't like you know you get into like ledge country or like super steep stuff you can kind of pinpoint you know some of those spots a little bit easier where this like we couldn't even see them on the topo lines like that's how minuscule they were but it was just enough that like deer would bed there so it took like I guess you could kind of see them on the, on the topo lines. We were just overlooking them mm. because it, they seem so subtle. Right. So like once we, once we were in there and started to realize that how the deer were using that, we could key into, you know, the, the map way better. And that's eventually how we found out where that, you know, that buck was bedded. Um, but yeah, maps, I would say are, are huge. We, we use hunt stand and, and one of the things that, is like super helpful i think is to run a track on your track mm-hmm. right so like you trace your trails throughout the entire day um and i've done that a lot in new york in like the main spots i hunt now i get on a track and then it's like oh this cut across this other track that i have that i've been hunting you know or whatever this is my stand and you can kind of eventually like you start to see and it's like okay these these two connect right here and then you like start to kind of put together a piece of puzzle before you know you kind of have like just this blueprint of, of deer movement and it helps you on a big scale look at and focus your attention down to you know whether it's certain ter- terrain features or anything like that that you know can help you in the fall when you bow hunting not tracking um you know during the rut or something like that um we found a lot of our best spots by tracking and just tracing our, our track throughout mm. the day. So, um, actually one of the spots that we're going to be focusing a lot on this year was a hundred percent off of that. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just so much to learn, I guess is, is the, is the, um, fun part of it. You never stop. I mean, you could do this no. 365 days a year and I feel yeah. like you're always going to be learning. I mean, it's, and right. it's, that's what compels me so much. I think that's why I want so much to have a little bit more time to just learn a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah. The, uh, 
let's go back to uh, to New York. So you're going to hopefully be spending a little bit of New York bow hunting time at that yep. prime time. What when is that prime time for you when you're hunting New York? So it seemed like last year. Well, actually, you know, the few past years that I've been spending more time in the woods. That um, last week of of October, first week of November, and then it seems to kind of peter off and pick back up like the 12th through like gun season, whenever gun season falls, it always seems like I, I get, you know, and that's based off of running trail cameras right. and that type of stuff is when I have noticed. But like um, that late October, first week of November, just as like last year was crazy. And that's when I was uh, in Indiana, which I don't, not complaining about that by any means. I had some of the best deer hunting in my life out there, and uh, you know, shot a really nice buck and just had an awesome experience out there. But when I got back and, and was looking around, I was like, "Ooh, like, there's all the there's the ones that I wanted. We're all here." So, uh, but you no know, luck. So I'll, I'll take that type of information, and, and that's how I planned my fall this year. You know, is is based off of some of that stuff and just historic data from that area. All right, I, I, I'm here for these days. Like I should be able to strike and have put myself in a good position to have a good opportunity. Um, but you know, something pops up and I might not even be there again. You know, I just am gonna <laughs> gonna go with wherever, wherever, uh, wherever my uh, heart takes me. I guess. So. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like really what you need to do is just wait till Brett gives you a buzz and say, "Hey, you should come hunt here. Yeah. And he'll put you <laughs> right. in a good one." Yeah, those yeah, are the best funny. ones. Yeah, that deer too. Is, I remember we, Jake and I went up and I, we found my ball. This before there was no snow. It was the day before we went up and we checked the camera, um, and uh, found like a pile, just like really fresh buck sign. We picked this our spot and like we pulled the car to the one camera. And we came back and we we're sitting at a Chinese restaurant, and we're just like going through the pictures and Brett just, just like drops his phone. He's like, oh gosh, there's a big one up there. And it was that buck. And he had been there like once the end of October, the first week of November or something. I'm like, okay, like whatever. <laughs> that doesn't really mean anything. I was like, I'm ne- I would never, like I would never shoot that deer. And that's the only deer that I've seen deer hunting in New Hampshire. Could <laughs> <laughs> you guys put a tape to him? Uh, Brett, um, I mean, we're not, the, the more the craziest thing about that you're like not a huge score I think score is interesting and it's a good way to to talk about the the size of the deer and like um, I don't think it's like what you measure success off of by any means um, but uh that deer was only four and a half years old okay which it seems like up in this you know that type of terrain and and and, and uh, mountains and hills that like they're not really hitting their peak until they're seven, six, seven. So that year, as a four and a half year old, um, he was one fifty six. Okay. So like that year had like some crazy good genetics to to grow, you know, into some. I mean, he was a spectacular year by, by you know. I'm not taking anything away from oh, him, but absolutely. just the sheer fact of him being four and a half, it was like, oh my gosh, like imagine what he would have been you know what i mean like and, and i would never not shoot that year but like it's just like kind of cool to to see that age 
age on them. I think that's really interesting too to, to do like um take it all the deer up here aged. Um and it's just just a very unique unique way. It's different than Iowa. You know, that deer in Iowa would probably be who knows what he would have been as a four and a half year old. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but like deer just crazy that that deer was, you know, living up in, in the mountains and got to that caliber of a buck in four and a half years in the state that people don't really think about, you know? I, I do it all the time where I, like, I, I'm never ever going to regret a deer I shoot, but, like, when you right. shoot one and you see something like that, I think that all the time, man, what would he have been next year? Like, my, uh, yeah. my buck I killed two years ago, same thing. I sent the tooth away. It was a four and a half year old deer, which surprised me a little i thought he was going to be five but he was four mm-hmm. and a half year old and he he grossed 170 it's like oh my word he might have been 190 the next year right. like, that's yeah that's insane but at the yeah. same time i'm like i wouldn't trade anything for i mean oh, i would have right. shot yeah. him when he was a three-year-old i mean i, I would have <laughs> he was 100 yeah. whatever he was you know 140 150 yeah. deer and i'm like yep that's for me thank you um, right. it's just cool it's just neat to know yeah I, i'm always fascinated by that like fine detail information like whenever you know a yep. little bit more about what you were after what you harvested i just think it makes it more special yeah right right yeah yeah that one was a that one was an interesting one um just you know probably the a highlight of, of my young you know hunting career and i think what was really special about it and one of the things that i look forward to most is just like having everybody drop what they were doing that day and just like come and just, you know, have share the experience of, you know, the success together was really cool. You know, dragging that buck out, you know, two plus miles or whatever it was with, you know, myself, Jake, Chris, Brett, Ross, um, you know, all of us just there, which is like one of, one of the highlights of my, you know, hunting careers, you know, sharing those experiences with people that, you know, put so much work in and are just genuinely happy, you know, for the success. Uh, So I think that's It's hard to beat camp atmosphere. It really is. Yeah. I think that uh, also is probably why I enjoy gun hunting is that that camp, you know, atmosphere. And, you know, we stayed up in the camper on one of the mountains out by, you know, uh, Brett's and we all stay at the camper, you know, we split off in the morning and then come back and, you know, tell the stories or whatever it may be. But, uh, yeah, the deer camp thing is definitely something that I really, really enjoy about deer hunting. And, you know, especially in the more, I mean, they're all over the place, but you know, being from Pennsylvania, I'm sure, you know, like deer camp is like serious. You oh, know? yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, where I lived, we had, I wouldn't say it was a deer camp. It was, you know, a tradition that we would all, you know, stay at my grandma's, uh, you know, get up in the morning and deer hunt. She would make, you know, uh, turkey pot pie with the leftover Thanksgiving turkey or chili and like we'd all come back in for lunch and stuff like that. But we never had like a camp where we dispersed from right around home too. So, um, this past year, me and one of my best friends from high school who uh, actually lives up, up close to, we live close together in New York now. Um, and he's kind of the same, same way his family had a farm up there. And we started last year, like our deer camp. So like my cousin comes up, his dad comes up, 
no, my wife shot her first buck there last, first year ever last year. So we started to build that tradition. This was like, as we get older and have kids, and we do like just that atmosphere is so cool to us that it's just special. So, and it's a great um, way to break up somebody like myself. Like I, I go, you know, way too serious in archery season, you know, from October, <laughs> beginning of October until, it, you know, right up until our bear season, which is, uh, it's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And yep. I always go away to bear camp and it like, it does such a good job of like breaking that habit we talked about earlier and yeah. just going and yep. enjoying it. Um, yep. you know, I, I used to, I, I used to get to a point where like rifle season for deer came and, I almost got like defeated. I'm like, man, it's over. It's over. Like the season's over, and it's it's not. It's just I was being blockheaded about it. Right. And I didn't want to gun hunt. Now it's like I'm starting to enjoy that hunt as much as possible because I just changed yep. my mentality, changed what we're doing, and it just didn't. It just makes it enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. John, yeah, deer hunting is cool. Brings a lot of people together. <laughs> Without a doubt. So, John, I really appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you coming on and chatting deer hunting with yeah, us man absolutely. good luck this fall i can't uh, i can't wait to see the content you guys push out i love the content you push um you know especially from the perspective of it relating so much to you know what i've experienced in pennsylvania mm-hmm. um anything you want to leave us with man no we appreciate i appreciate you having me on and um you know we just look forward to hopefully another successful fall and bring best content we can to everybody um wish you the best of luck this fall as well thanks man appreciate it yep have a good one you too see you